and welcome to episode 41 of Right Brain. That's right, I'm numbering the episodes this week. I'll forget next week. Of course. And we'll have an of episode of next week. <laughs> I'm one of your two hosts, JM. We haven't missed a week. You're not supposed to cut in the introduction, Paul. Okay, go, go, go. No, it's, you've ruined it. The episode is over. I'm just, I'll have to apologize to our guest, Ronnie Verdi, who is here with us, as we'll have Hello. to reschedule. Actually, no. <laughs> let's, let's just do this. Let's ignore Paul's unprofessionalism. Let me introduce both my co-host, Paul Inman, the author of Ageless. Paul, how are you doing? I'm doing great. You kind of sound different, JF, all of a sudden. Uh, my nose is slightly blocked. That's not what I meant. Okay. Anyways, and are we have a guest this uh, t- this week uh, who goes by R.R. Verdi. I, I, I gave away his real name earlier, so everybody scrub that from your mind so you can keep his anonymity. So, R, how are you doing? I can, call, can I call you R? Or is it R.R.? <laughs> yeah, you, you can call me that or by my real name. That's not an issue. Um, and I'm doing pretty good. Thank you guys for having me. No, I, I I get the name thing though because when people are going to be searching for you for you on Amazon or on Kindle, you want them to find you, and they'll find you by uh, RR Verdi, not by Ronnie. So I, I get it. No, it's it's, yep. it's, it's, it's branding. Exactly. That's what like, I do you've for got a living. Uh, yeah, and you've got JF. So exactly for because I, I most people just don't need to. Uh, people can't pronounce my normal name. Well, you know you what, go. JF? I was going to go by JF, but I saw it was taken. So um, I decided instead to use my actual birth name. And then I threw that out, too, and I decided to go by Paul Inman. <laughs> See, I, I was sort of in the same boat because RR has been used by like the most successful genre fiction authors like J.R.R. Tolkien and George R.R. R. Martin. And there's a couple indie ones out there, but at the same time, it's my, my birth initials are that. So it's like I don't really have a choice. <laughs> Um, you know what? You get go. to use it. Just use it. I mean, <laughs> own it. Own it. At this point, we're going to own it. So, RR, how you doing? <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. Um, I guess JF mm-hmm. and you have a relationship. Uh, whoa, whoa. Don't out us that much. <laughs> <laughs> Calm down, buddy. Uh, no, no uh, we don't have a relationship. We're both part of the, uh, the same community, uh, which is... it's. Probably one of many NaNoWriMo communities at this point. I don't know yeah. the politics of it, but we're part of a, a NaNoWriMo that's National Novel Writing Month for uh, you people who don't know. Um, and we're, we're part of the same Facebook group, and we met there. And Ronnie is just an absolute superstar on that group. And <laughs> that's, that's how he came to my attention, because otherwise I, I don't mingle with people who aren't superstars on Facebook groups. Oh wow! <laughs> no, it's, it's completely the opposite of true. Uh, no, it's just because R- Ronnie. It's gonna say, "What am I doing here?" <laughs> oh, ouch! Pity, Paul. Pity. Hey, uh, I'm in have my own party I'm, over here tonight. <laughs> I'm painting. I'm painting a great portrait of myself today. Now, the the, the, the the there's many reasons why Ronnie, Ronnie came to my attention. First of all, he's one of the most positive, outgoing, and encouraging member of that community, which is saying a lot because it's a pretty supportive community to begin with. And I need all the encouragement I can get. <laughs> so almost daily, Ronnie will be posting something to tell people, like these huge paragraphs, like the huge posts to give people encouragement, which is a great way for people to actually get on their writing. He's also written some 
well, he's got some books, uh, self-published books that have decent-looking covers, which to me is an anomaly. <laughs> and uh, he, his, his, the way he handles his marketing and his, uh, his self-publishing career is is remarkable. And as a guy who works in marketing, I, I'm that's attracting my attention. So, Ronnie, why don't you just give us? This is my introduction to you. Why don't you tell okay. us about yourself as an author? Because as a you know. Personal okay. Person. Yeah. It's none of our business. <laughs> uh, smooth, JF. Smooth. I, uh, I'm, I work good. <laughs> you <Exactly>. work good. Um, <laughs> nutshell. I, I publish under the pen name R. R. Verdi. I'm the author of uh, two paranormal investigator series. One is the Grave Report, which is um, was nominated last year at DragonCon for the Dragon Awards for Best Fantasy Paranormal, alongside one of your co-authors from uh, Sword and Laser, or Am I getting the publisher right? Um, Sword and Laser is the imprint under the publisher for Inkshares. There we go. G. Derek Adams for Asteroid Made of Dragons. Uh, I was finalist with Jim Butcher, Larry Correa, N.K. Jemison, and Dave Freer. Uh, The other series just debuted. It's set in the same world, but pretty much I'm known for urban fantasy is what I do. That's very cool. So what are the names um, of this series? What's the name of the series and maybe the name of uh, some of the books? Okay, uh, the first series that landed the award nomination is The Grave Report. Um, the first book is Grave mm-hmm. Beginnings. second one is Grave Measures. The third one is coming out later this year. It doesn't have a final title. Um, the premise is my main character, Vincent Graves, is a soul without a body. He was murdered by the paranormal. He doesn't know what did it, so he's stuck in limbo and he can't move on. So every case, he starts off in the body of someone else murdered by the paranormal and has to use their minds, memories, skills, and bodies to solve their murder. The more he does it, the more he keeps with those people's memories, lives, and skills at the cost of his original own. So the series begins in media res that he's done it so long, he doesn't remember his own original identity. So while he's doing these cases, trying to save or bring closure to the lives of people he's never met, he's trying to piece together his old own life back together. Um, I guess the elevator pitch of it that everyone's compared it to is it's Quantum Leap meets uh, Jim Butcher's The Dresden Files. I was gonna I like ask, that. like, I was gonna pass a comment about the quantum leap. It's like, oh, it's a supernatural quantum leap. That's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. Well, I'm I'm from the generation that watched Quantum Leap, so oh boy, to and, uh, everybody. And I was there. born right after that, so growing up, I've heard from you know people who were in high school with me, just a couple years old enough, old, being older. The parents watched it, and they were able to see it, and they told me about it, and eventually, that's honestly where the idea came from, <laughs> because I have oh, seen Quantum Leap. <laughs> oh, you? Oh, have? dude. Oh yeah. I didn't I watched I watched a few episodes like a couple of years ago. It did not age well. It, it, it Guess, did not age well, I won't say that, but the premise is really cool to me. Guess what? Uh I'm actually doing a rewatch of it now. I'm in like <laughs> almost at the end of season two. That is kind of hilarious. So I don't agree with you guys. I think it aged great. I mean of course it didn't age great, but I mean I think it isn't horrible. It's not like putting on like uh uh the ghoulies or something from the eighties. Like that, I don't know if you remember that movie. The Ghoulies? You don't remember the Ghoulies? Oh, I don't man, even know it what is that terrible. is. It is terrible horror <laughs> 80s movie. I mean, if you could think... Th- I mean, look, this is how bad it was. These little... This is what I remember. of it. These little monsters, for some reason, come out of the toilet. I think they're aliens, though. I don't oh, know. Wait, I'm confused. Wait, okay. That's... That, I've... The, the, the movie... The, the, the movie box, I do remember that. Okay, I, I, I'm picturing... Thanks for dredging up those memories, Paul. So, <laughs> Ronnie, you self-publish. Yes, I am. <laughs> um, 
I've dipped Good the toe. segue. Yeah, <laughs> terrible segue, but necessary. Smooth. I am, yeah, just pulling the abort switch on that discussion about <laughs> toilet monsters. Um, no, uh, you're, you're a self-published author, a successful self-published author, in my humble opinion, mostly because you're, you. you're what, on your, you're on your third book and things seem to be taken off and the barometer I've read for most authors is that things start to get quote unquote professional around your fourth or fifth novel. So, and you seem to be exactly on that trajectory. So as far as I'm concerned, awesome job. Thank you. Um, what made you decide to go towards self-publishing as opposed to, I don't know, pestering agents or whatever else is available? Uh, fair enough. Uh, one of the biggest reasons was when I was writing the first novel, I didn't really have a game plan for publishing. I was trying to finish it. But I did have that in mind. And You know, on the internet, whenever you go on now, Facebook and anything else, and you're looking at just writing stuff. I'm watching interviews with authors. I'm watching, you know, just listening to podcasts and watching up, like, agents who are looking, just in the background, not even actively. And I keep hearing about self-publishing. And this is the time where, like, the big boom is happening. Um, 2013, some authors have just made their first million at the end of 2012, coming into 2013, out of self-publishing. Um, Amanda Hawking was, I think, the very first self-published indie millionaire, and she wrote um, in the genre. You know, she wrote paranormal um, troll stuff. And I was like, okay, well, it looks like it's successful. Um, I kept reading all the pros and cons as I progressed with the novel that, you know, you can go ahead and make millions. And I knew that wasn't going to be possible starting out, but I knew I would have a lot more control. Like, I would have the option to maybe one day make millions, which sounds really capitalistic that that's why I'm writing, which for the record, I'm not. But, you know, you, you know how it goes with trade. There's certain things that get cut out, and you're the last person to get paid. Um, with traditional, if you don't meet a certain quota within a certain time because you have been invested in, your book is pulled from publication. When, with self-publishing, the further I was getting towards finishing my novel, I felt like I'm new. I don't know what I'm doing, but with self-publishing, I'll have the time to learn. No one can go to my book and go, I'm sorry, we can't carry this anymore. You haven't made X amount of money. It can go two years, and maybe I'll have made nothing, but I'll have learned at the end of two years what to do better, and maybe I can revive the series or start something new. or, You know what I mean? It, it gave me the chance to learn without my work being permanently pulled off of somewhere. Yeah, it's, it's, a, good, I would say it's a good way to keep control of your property and keep the, uh, I would say, if you're, if you're someone who's able to build a plan around it and actually put in the work, which I dipped my toe into self-publishing with my first book, and it was the amount of work to keep at it was, I don't want to say too much because the original plan was to keep self-publishing, but I was glad to find another option because I didn't have the time because as we discussed before, full-time job and all that. But there is something that is very attractive about self-publishing and it's something that I, one, one of many reasons I wanted to have you on and I want to learn more about how you're doing it is because it is something that I eventually want to go back to. Right. Not necessarily full. I, my plan is to be as hybrid publisher, like uh, as hybrid of a published author as possible. So a bit of self-publishing, a bit of you know traditional, whatever works. Right, and that's honestly the most successful way to go. Uh, as someone who started on the indie side, I will fully admit I have been looking at going traditional. Also, I can be a hybrid author. In fact, I will be having things to pitch hopefully next year. Um, I do want to wait till my series uh, is on more stable footing as an indie because as you were saying, it takes about... Four and five books to feel professional. Um, some indies hit it with their third book, but normally the figures I've seen is four to five is by the time a series is established enough where 
on Kindle or iBooks or whatever, people will see there's enough material to buy into you. Especially since you don't normally have the, the bookstore shelf uh, distribution and that presence there. Yeah, no, uh, that's, that's generally what I see also. And what I'm kind of aiming for. It's, it's funny because I'm... You and I are kind of going at it from different directions. You start, right. you're starting indie, and you're you're reaching out. I'm, I mean, Paul and I are also kind of indie published, but not self published. Our right. publisher would be considered an independent publisher. Right. But at the same time, right. we do get the kind of distribution that you're talking about. But parallel to that, there's like the crowdfunding aspect and everything that goes with doing ink shares. Right. So it's it's kind of weird. So are you going to be pitching directly to publishers or are you going to try to get like an agent and have that work for you or just canvas everything? I'm in a really unique situation that after um, the, award situ uh, the award situation brought my name to a lot of light um, as it did with you and we both went through a negative um, agent experience. I do want to bring Terrible. that up because yes, um, this does happen in the industry sadly uh, and it was an agent from one of the largest um, agencies in the world but we're not going to name names. An, and, agent, uh, an agency that both of you and I have acquaintances signed with. Yes. Um, some of my acquaintances are New York Times bestsellers with that agency, <laughs> which was a really cool sh happy shock when I first saw it. And then I saw how people were being treated who interacted with this person. It was like, oh. But um, aside from that, I have made a favorable impression upon some very large agents who have their own agencies. Um, they are the heads of these companies, as well as the acquisitions editors for a few of the publishers. So hopefully, I will be submitting to those specific people, because there's already a rapport. They're familiar with either my name and or my work. Um, they like me, which, let's be honest, is always a huge help. Um, publishing, which people seem to forget, is not unlike Hollywood, where reputation and friends and a lot of those things do matter, and people take that into account. Yeah, I know, definitely. If there's one thing I've noticed, like, in my current general and specifically going towards the writing thing and a bit of the, the Hollywood thing is the, the, the importance of networking. And I'm, I'm a generally unlikable individual, so networking doesn't <laughs> come naturally to me. Um, but I, I'm in I'm in a situation where I, I'm starting to do uh, what you've been doing for I assume a few years is basically going to conventions, getting to meet people. In uh, at the end of April, I need to go to StokerCon, which is essentially just an entire convention of established professional strangers who work in the horror fiction genre, and I need to go there and make friends. I don't want to. I'm not good at it. Um, I feel like I'm going to be annoying these people, and I will, but it, it feels like something that needs to be done because these. I'm hoping that one day I'll elevate myself to the point where I can consider these people my peers and they can consider me one of their peers, and these relationships need to be seeded as early as possible. But I don't like it. Uh, wow, so I don't know. I kind of lost count. For those of you at home playing along... The JF <laughs> depreciation shot game. You're a couple back already, aren't you? So, um, yeah. So that's pretty. Take a drink. <laughs> pretty awesome. That's right. So um, I want to ask you a couple questions, uh, Ronnie. Sure. Let's let's talk about the actual nuts and bolts, like okay. of self-publishing, because I don't. I've never attempted to do this. Like, um, who, what do you use? Do you just go through CreateSpace with Amazon? Um, for paperback distribution, yes, I do like using Amazon because the, 
they just, aside from their own retail infrastructure, if you do it right, you can land up into stores worldwide, which, depending on demand, does happen. In my case, I'm very fortunate that that has happened. I have copies sold through not just CreateSpace and not just through Amazon, but third-party retailers like individual indie bookstores, um, small bookstores in other countries I've never heard of, but, like, there's bookstores in Australia that carry me. Some have me on shelves, so I'm an impulse buying right there. Um, the UK, Germany, France, Italy, um... I don't think I've sold any hard uh, actual paperbacks in Japan, um, but I've sold paperbacks in, throughout Asia, throughout the EU, um, the UK, because they're no longer technically part of the EU, Canada, and everywhere else. And then um, e-publishing side is Kindle directly, and I use Smashwords as my majority distributor to everywhere else, because they fill in a lot of the nooks and crannies for publishers I never would have thought about, one being Overdrive which is really important because that is the biggest system that libraries around the world use, um, especially in the United uh, States. And because of that, my books have been showing up in digital format as well as print in a lot of libraries like LA. Um, the Carnegie Mellon Library has my books, both in print as well as um, ebook. Um, LA system, state of Washington, Canada, a um, bunch of states slowly over the years to the US have been buying me in their libraries. And after that, the last thing I did was hardcover distribution, which is through Ingram Spark, which, um, because of the print quality, the way they distribute, the discounts they allow, it allows some of the larger bookstores to carry you with more ease. So Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, for example, will carry me. I have had sales through them. Um, because of doing that, I am now capable of going in for signings, which is obviously a huge marketing thing, so I can get my name out there. That's very cool. Um, tell me a little bit more about Overdrive. I've never heard of that. I'm um, sure that I have heard it in passing, but I just don't know what... Overdrive, from my limited understanding of who it's owned by and everything, is actually owned by Kobo, which is, I think, aside from Amazon, the largest ebook retailer. They're extremely prevalent okay. outside of the U.S., um, Canada, and the U.K., and Asia, and everywhere else. They're, they make up the most ebooks sold. Um, and it was a system they bought that allows libraries to buy, I don't know at what prices, but... It's a system that allows them to buy and loan out books so people can digitally check out a book from a library. Um, now, I don't know how the consumer side of that works because I've actually never, ever rented out an ebook from everywhere. Uh, given the ebook prices, uh, um, in my mind, they've become the new paperbacks and they're so cheap, I'll just buy them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I understand. Um, uh, you know, there's something that has uh, recently come across uh, my. I don't know. Come come into recognition on my end, and I I, hadn't, I haven't heard of it before, but until very recently, when someone else that we that JF and I know has actually used it, and that is something called pronoun. Have you have you I've looked never heard into of that. pronoun? Oh, no. really? So well, this apparently is it's me. <laughs> it's a, well, I don't know much about it. All I know is it's another self publishing publishing type of um, okay. platform. So um, it honestly, I don't know. There's a lot of people in the, the little community that JF and I are a part of that seem to be very interested in it. And I looked into it, and I didn't know maybe if you had ever heard of it or not. No, but so I, just I just pulled it ask. up, and it's got a pretty pink backer. I mean, apparently it's owned by Macmillan, which for everyone of the right. fiction community who does genre fiction knows, Macmillan is the parent, or I guess affiliate of Tor, which is, I don't want to say the largest, but I guess arguably one of the largest uh, fantasy publishers. They're the ones who do George R. R. Martin, um, a lot of Brandon Sanderson mm -hmm. novels, um, Robert Jordan, The Wheel of Time, who's you know, been heralded as the American Tolkien. Uh, they have a lot under there. 
and it seems like they're also a mass market distributor. Um, publishing with them doesn't seem like it's just direct publishing. It seems like they're a full service because they upload you to Amazon, iBooks, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, Google Play. So it seems like they might be a full independent publisher that does ebooks because there are imprints of the big five that do that now, like um, Hydra, get horrible <laughs> name maybe, given the Marvel Association, but I believe they're oh, an imprint I don't know. of Penguin. I think it's a good name. <laughs> yeah, they're so an, do I. Yeah, they're an imprint of Penguin, and they will um, take on authors and e-publish them only. But, you know, if you get picked up with them, that's still professional cover design. That's professional editing. Um, yeah, you're only in ebook format, but that's kind of the new paperback anyway, given how cheap they can be sold. And if people buy enough of those, they will give you a print run. Hey, so I, I think I like the way... Oh, go it's, ahead, Jeff. It's, it's something that we've uh, we've seen, actually, when we had... Uh, it's true, you weren't there, but uh, Sam Morgan from Jabberwocky was telling me... Uh, I can't remember if that was on air or during a panel... But it, it's something that even they do. And, I mean, they're not like a gargantuan agency. They're a pretty good agency. Yeah, no, I, I know people with Jabberwocky. Yeah, no, they, they have Brendan Sanderson. I mean, they're... they're yeah. If, if nothing else, they're, they seem to be a good agency. No, which is very reputable. Concerned, as far as I'm concerned, good is much better than big. Yes, um, yeah. I, I won't, I'll back that. So, anyways, but he was telling me that even that's something that they do. Like, they'll, if there's books that fall... Like that they see even from independent publishers, they'll they'll give they'll give ebook contracts of their own to projects that they feel have potential to give them traction and to help get them picked up by uh, by, by by an actual publisher. So it's something that we see more and more. And pronoun does feel like a more structured way for Macmillan to do this. But yeah. also and this is not a negative, this is just an added they make it very clear that this is kind of their uh, their introductory offer until they can add on some paid services, which right. is fine. But it's you know you gotta understand kind of the mechanics that goes behind it, right? Because publishing. I think I've been. Go ahead. Uh, I was just gonna say I think that I've been toying with the idea of doing some self-publishing with um, some short stories. I was thinking about maybe writing a few and making a collection, but then I thought, you know what, maybe I could just write some short stories and individually put them out through um, either Create Space or maybe something like Pronoun or some of the other um, self-publishing avenues. Um, that's kind of where, where I was thinking about maybe pursuing a little bit of self-publishing, but I, I, it's, it's daunting to me, I'll be honest with you, because I've never, um, I've never waded in that water, so to speak, you know, so... Uh, I'm a little wary, and I mean, I'm sure that some of our listeners, they may have went the self-publishing route and not uh, found it to be for them. I, I just don't know. I mean, both well, of you have that experience over me. I don't have it. With short stories, I'd be really wary if you're going to do them individually because, like with anything, obviously the editing, and it needs to have some semblance mm -hmm. of cover to attract something to garner sales. I mean, you're going to be investing a lot more than you might make back versus if it's a collection. Um which people do buy into. The one thing I will say in terms of more shorter um, fiction that has taken off um, successfully and created a subculture in the indie self-publishing community online is novellas. Um, there is an entire culture now of people publishing novellas and they backlist them before publishing them so they can put, put them out month after month and they're creating sort of um, the equivalent of, I guess, what Netflix readers would be, like binge readers who will buy a novella for two ninety nine, right, and just tear through it, you know, 30,000 words. Some of these guys can pump these out in 15 to 20 days, edit them, have it out within a month, and they've got a cover artist on contract, and they're just putting them out month after month after month after month, 
and they're fully contained for the most successful ones, I will say. There's no cliffhangers. They're not, like, chopping up a story. Each novella right. is its own contained story, but they can put out so much material faster, and it's cheaper, and, you know, for guys who travel and women who travel, you've got your Kindle e-reader. You can just buy these, you know, by the barrel and eat them up on planes and devour series, and it's working. And the positive thing to doing that, in my opinion, is then you build your catalog, too. Yes, so build your catalog you build your name you build your readership which is really for people that are, are at the stage that we are is like that's what we want we just want the readers at this point of course we want the money too because once we get yeah. the money we can spend more time actually writing. yes yes because we all have our day jobs in different situations and whatnot and the, the money allows freedom to be more creative which is what we want yeah, it was in, I mean, I've... I've Plus, been, we just want the money, you know. <laughs> yeah, <that's> I'm just <laughs> kidding. <laughs> I've been very honest about my situation. Like, the only reason I want to make money is so I can write more. Because if I can match my current salary with a writer's salary, I can just do what I love full-time, which would be heaven. Um, one of the things, like, when, when I tried self-publishing, one of the things that was, uh, that kind of, I don't want to say bothered me. No, it bothered me. Uh, was <laughs> the idea that there was... Because when you're publishing, you're basically, when you're self-publishing, you're your own publisher. And a publisher yes. has just a laundry list of responsibilities to put out a quality product. We're talking, obviously, you need to write the story, which is what, as writers, we all want to do. But then you've got all your, we, we talked last uh, last week, we talked about editing. But you've got your you know, dev editing, line editing, copy editing. That all needs to be done. Cover needs to be uh, created. You need a layout artist then you need to do all the management side. I mean, you seem extremely comfortable with all the managing all the platforms that you need to take care of to be able to uh, to distribute a book. But distribution is a huge aspect of it. How much do you do personally versus how much do you hire out or contract people to help you with? I mean, do you do your own copy? Do you do your own editing? Oh, no, 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 no. I, I will never, ever, ever, ever edit my own work past the... Um... Smart. <laughs> initial the initial self edit to clean up a novel before you send it to your de developmental editor because I want to make it a smoother ride for them not to mention get as catch as much as I can that way they can do their job better and then obviously apply that um, and then it goes through a process with beta readers and apply those changes and then um, same thing with the copy and the line editing I have people who do all that same with the cover art the things I do are come up with my marketing game plan obviously write the novel um, I'm always marketing and trying to build anticipation for the next novel. That's 24-7 because you can have the best book in the world, but if no one knows about it, eh. Um, exactly. I do all the digital formatting myself for the e-books, um, and I, I will admit mine aren't as fancy as some others. That's not to say they're bad. They're completely clean. They look like a print novel, um, but I don't put in a lot of the cool stuff where people have all the crazy symbols and the art and the little graphic banners per new chapter and stuff because I've heard some horror stories where depending on what platform someone's reading that on, you know, they can get warped, images might move. Um, so I do a very st strict, it's a very literary clean layout digitally. Um, you'll have chapter headers. They'll all be hyperlinked. You can warp, jump through the Kindle digitally wherever you want, but there's not a lot of fluff to make it look fancy. It looks like you're reading a print book. Uh, now, for the print layout, I do have other people do that for me. For the hardcovers and the paperbacks, they do all the formatting, the margin setting, the typeface, and the font, and the cool, fancy chapter different headings with the indents and all that to create a really nice, you know, tactile, beautiful, you know, reading thing when you're reading the actual novels in print. That's awesome. 
Um, that's one of the things that's kind of bothersome. Like, even as a designer myself, I've discovered that I don't necessarily want to design my own covers. Right. Because I feel like I'm too close to the product. And even the interior layout, like the first book I did, um, because I was working with CreateSpace and I was thinking way too business, not enough marketing, I ended up using a very small typeface to minimize, to get under a certain bracket of page numbers. Terrible. Bad idea. Yeah. And so do, do you do you always go to the same cover designer or do you, I mean, do you, do you have, is, is there an RR Verdi team, so to speak, or do you kind of change things along as you go? Uh, no, I have a very solid team. Um, my developmental editor is Michelle Dunbar. Um, she's who I always use. Um, copy edits and stuff have um, changed. The first one, Michelle D Dunbar did uh, Great Beginnings. She did a fantastic job. The second one, um, I hired somebody else, but they were unable for the third one. And the third one is Kaylee Stickler, and now we've come to agreement like she is the one. Um, the second editor had something come up in life, so that was no longer an option. My cover artist is always the same so far. Sarah Anderson, who is committed to the Grave Report and the Books of Winter, which are the two series I've got out now. Um, going down further down the line with what happens when I go traditional and start new series, I don't know. But right now, I do have a very solid team I like working with because um, it's like you said, sometimes you're too close to the product. And Sarah nailed my not only genre, but she nailed the Grave Report specifically because one of the things that you might have seen, um, especially in my genre, urban fantasy, is a lot of people aren't using the same cover designer, but they've also created a certain look because it's marketable, but now all the covers start to look the same on the thumbnails. And it's very um, strong, either female or male presence. Um, and then they've got their hands on fire, or there's like a purple fire behind them, or there's green fire from the sky. It's always something with fire, sparkle, magic hands. And um, at, at thumbnails, they all look like the same <laughs> I love that description. <laughs> they all look like the same artist did it. And I, if I don't read the names, I swear to God, it looks like they're all the same author. And at times it turns me off. Like I, they, when you're looking at it on a thumbnail, because you have to remember a lot of the income for indie authors is eBooks. Um, they all start to blur, and nothing stands out. The thing I like about mine is it does lean a little bit more to the thriller noir genre covers. They're more striking and no really crazy magic on them. However, Vincent Graves' face is always obscured because he has a new body every book, and the way his face is obscured on the cover is something specific from that novel, like a, a clue or something cool, and that fits that. So the first one looks like his face, the page is torn out where his face is, but that has something to do with the novel. And that alone creates a focal point where on Kindle, I've had a lot of people tell me when they're flipping through urban fantasy, that strikes them, like instantly. It's not as glaring with the magic and stuff. The thing that stands out most is the character and then what the, why is his face gone? And it's led to a lot of sales. And she nailed that's that. Good. It's very series specific, not just genre specific, but that's those speak about my work solely. And you said she does your other um, series as well. Yeah, uh, the Books of Winter, which is kind of an odd duck in the genre because um, not only in its physical print size, which is nearly six hundred pages, um, most urban fantasies never hit one hundred seventy-one thousand words. It's a really short genre, normally ninety to one hundred twenty. Um, it's sort of being called epic urban fantasy because the way it reads. Um, it takes place a lot more in the paranormal side of the world. Um, it reads a lot more like a Tolkien-ish or, you know, a heavier fantasy novel, even though it's set in the modern day today. Um, she went from a really classic look that a lot of people have compared to Game of Thrones, specifically Dance of Dragons, where it has this gradient um, background, which in my case looks like winter, like a frozen lake, and there's a handful of shiny pennies on the cover. And that's very specific not only to the series, but that novel. And it stands out in the crowd of urban fantasy novels. Um... I've gotten decent sales just because of the way the cover looks. And a lot of people have compared it to George R. R. Martin if he did Urban Fantasy. So 
that always helps. So yeah, it's, it's that a good comparison hurt. to get. Yeah, and uh, I mean, this is something that we've discussed a lot is the value of good covers. And actually, Inkshares recently has been they've been doing good on covers. Um, they've they've hired a, a new guy. I don't I don't remember his name. It's Mike something. I could look it up. Anyways, but uh, the the importance of covers is it's and I'm a, everybody knows this. Is covers are really the first. Uh, you're not supposed to judge a book by by its cover, but you will. So yes, Paul, more questions? Oh, oh, oh I thought you had more to that. I oh, thought you were no, going to no, say no, something no. about Mike. About <laughs> Mike? Yeah, I, I wish I could say his last name, which I'm going to research as you ask questions. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Well, nice save. Um, yes. So the um, we're candid here. I was looking at your uh, actually. I was looking at the book cover for uh, Dangerous Ways. Um. How does that process work for you? I mean, like, for for example, I had way too many back and forths, and it probably cost a lot of extra money. Uh, <laughs> when I was doing, when I was getting my cover designed, um, I was very nitpicky, and that was probably not the best way to be. But how does that work um, with you? Like, uh, with the self-publishing, I mean, I'm sure everything's different, but in your experience, like, when she sent you this original design, were you just like, yes, this is it? Um, for the specific series, no. Ironically, for the Grave Report, um... She had already read it. I will. I want to make this clear. The Grey Report originally debuted self-published with my own cover that I made. Um, which okay. no, never do. <laughs> like like Jeff was saying, uh, JF was saying, do not do. Um, it sold itself very well simply because of the story. The cover mm-hmm. was solid. It was not even close to the grade it is today. And she read it. She was a fan and a graphic designer and told me, I would like to read your cover without saying because it's crap. Um, and oh, she did, well, and she nice. <laughs> she narrowed it down and had like two different layouts for the background, and was and nailed it within like a week. And the Grave Report set itself up. The second cover was a matter of days picking out the stuff. Dangerous Ways because it was such a shift in genre. Uh, well, not genre, but the way I was writing urban fantasy, the scope of it, and the look we were trying to go for was um, a lot of back and forth. Initially, I got something that seemed a little bit more young adult, where it had physical bodies on it, it had a background, the font was a little more Harry Potter-esque. It, it seemed like it was aiming at a lower um, age group than what I actually write for. And then we went back and forth with that, and then it came back a little too gothic, and its looks a little bit darker and grimmer. Um, it didn't really speak to the epic, you know, kind of adventure-esque tale that it is. And eventually, right. we started going about, like, well, how some epic fantasies have one striking key symbol, and they go from a really clear, bold-faced thing where there's one focal point to draw the audience's eyes, there's obviously the author name and credits really big, um, and we thought a really clean look, kind of like the banners behind me, might be the way to go, um, and maybe bridge the urban fantasy genre, which, as I mentioned, the indie community has a strong you know, preference for dropping male characters with everything on fire on them, and lightning bolts around the moon and stuff, um... <laughs> with the fantasy crowd because a lot of them do like urban fantasy and they generally have cleaner simpler covers with like a banner or a strong image um and we came up with that and she came up with the gradient first she had the background um this beautiful snowscape with like these magical swirls which have to do with something that's in my grave report and my um books of winter universe that connects them to these things called ways which is a really old thing with everyone's done portal fantasy um this is a part of that universe system and then she wanted a strong image. And one thing I always do specifically with her is I give her an alpha copy of the novel. Not finalized, but so she gets the story idea and she can really right. make something custom because she's also an avid reader. And she read that and eventually we came back and settled on the pennies. 
because they're a huge motif for the first novel. And that was something we figured... Well, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say that's a good idea. Oh, and uh, <laughs> and one of the reasons uh, we picked the pennies was if we picked any other object, it might convince that it's a fantasy, but pennies are modern enough that if someone sees what looks like a traditional fantasy cover with a modern, I guess in this case, currency, you know, that might strike them as like, what the heck is that? Why are pennies on this? And might allow them to understand that whatever the blurb is talking about, all these magical things and monsters, it's happening in a modern urban setting. And that pretty much... Right, that, way you, that way you don't subvert expectations. Too. Exactly. Mm -hmm. It allowed me to carry over through fantasy and urban fantasy at the same time while making sure people understand that where this genre takes place has modern elements. Mike Corley. <laughs> oh, nice. I already name. forgot all about that. I, no, it was, it, was, it was really important for me to actually dig up his name because I'm terrible with names. <laughs> and um, the thing is, I, but I also have a lot of respect for fellow designers, so I want to give credit where credit is due. And I, I was starting to feel like a bit of an asshole. Wow, nice. What? <laughs> it's Nothing. I'm, I have no comment. <laughs> awesome. So, uh, Ronnie, I want to go back to the whole networking thing because you... Okay. Like I said, like one of the ways that you kind of stood out to me uh, in the community is the fact that you, obviously, clearly the listeners, like you're, you're a fairly charming guy. You've got a, a good personality. Do you have any tricks for assholes like me who are going to conventions to meet people and supposed to not be recognized as the person I am? Uh. <laughs> how, 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 do you go, how do you go to a con and go to someone like, uh, like people and meet people as an author how do you do that without looking like you're just trying to shill yourself um it, it, it's dorky and i guess that's part of it is be a dork but um be, as corny as it sounds be yourself because <laughs> last year the first big writing convention i went to um i was kind of shy i was a new guy there everybody else knew each other from a lot of the years i just kind of walked around listening in on conversations and if someone talked about something i knew about i i you know, sort of chime in politely, like geeky topics, anime, um, TV shows, video games, whatever. And um, the biggest thing I learned is it, everybody there is an author, but a lot of the times not everyone wants to push their books or talk about their books. They want to talk about, you know, a football game or something and just be normal, come across as a friend first because that's the way they're going to network you too. Um, it's very rare when I've seen all these networking things happen where people go like, oh my god, this person wrote, wrote an awesome book, you should read it. It's more like, holy crap, this guy's really awesome, he's really cool, you should talk to him, you both like X and X, and um, there you go. It, it's a famous story that I've heard a lot from Jim Butcher is how he got his agent was he was talking to Laurel K. Hamilton over lunch, and they were talking about geek TV shows that they really like, which was Buffy, and they became friends over that, which led to him getting an agent. <laughs> so... I guess, yeah, just find that common ground and have fun. I mean, it's kind of obvious while you're all there, everyone's going to assume you're a horror writer at, like, StokerCon. People are going to pick up on that. Um, you don't need to bash them over the head with it. I would just say, well, talk about your favorite horror books that aren't yours. See where you guys drew inspiration from. That's actually good news, because I'm way more comfortable talking about books that aren't mine. <laughs> and then that will give you the intro to go, like, well, I'm here because I just wrote blah, blah, blah. <laughs> okay. Cool. All right. So yeah. So be authentic, JF. That's that's actually that's probably easier for me, anyways. <laughs> it's just because I'm I'm going there a bit on the instructions of my publisher, and I want to make sure that I do my quote unquote job right as someone going there to promote myself. But at the same time, 
I don't want to be the guy that just went there to promote myself. And I'm kind of, I'm wondering if that's okay. I guess I'm wondering, can I just go there and have fun? Can I have fun? No, yeah. it's work conference, JF. Sorry. <laughs> you got to get up at 7 and be in the rooms by 8. I'm fine with work that. Work all day. <laughs> Great. I'm, uh, this has... Yeah. Taking a turn for the worse here. I think. <laughs> no, it's good. This is this no, it's is great. Very... <laughs> um, it Ronnie, great. let me let me let you know a secret. We okay. have somebody on the show, and JF's like, "How can you help me help myself?" And yeah, that's the way no. it goes normally. <laughs> I've been so. very clear that this is why we have guests. <laughs> yeah, because it's got to be about JF for was, most of the show. It was very important <laughs> to me that you were not you would not be there when the agent was there so that I could have his full attention, Paul. Do you know how yes. hard that was to engineer? Why were you uh, not able to be there again? Sickness or something? Uh, no, I'm pretty sure it was an emergency situation. <laughs> Thanks, JF. No, the actual the actual point of why we have guests is um, I'm I'm more open in asking questions, how can you help me because Whatever helps me is going to help you and is going to help the listeners. Like, all our listeners are writers. Most well, of course, Jeff. My tongue was so far into my cheek just then. Come on. So, right? Come on. Smile. Be happy. Be happy. Be a happy Canadian like the rest of them. Come on. You can do I'm, it. I'm French-Canadian, so I oh, am, right. I'm right. exempt from happiness. You are correct. I forgot. I know. Well, the, the whole point is to have guests on that know what they're talking about to compensate for the fact that you and I don't. I know. I know, dude. <laughs> so, Ronnie, um, as we are uh, kind of approaching sort of near the end of our time here, um, is there anything like if you wanted to, let's say someone's listening to this for the first time and they just listen to it for our antics, which I'm sure they don't, um, what would you, any kind of advice that you might throw their way, like about being a writer or, be, or becoming self-published or maybe even going traditional? Or what would you say to someone who is like staring at you and they're like, hey, how can I do this too? Uh, well, always finish your work first because the market is always in flux. Same with the publishing methods. Um, so when I first published, indie publishing was just taking off, but there was only a few real successful authors at that point. There wasn't, like, even now or three years now, I've, I know career authors making 30K a month, some making five, some making 10 a month, um, some make 2,000. They're just making a basic living. That wasn't really the thing when I started. It was, you know, you have one person who made a million <laughs> last year, and then everyone else is making, like, 300 bucks over a year. Um, so always finish your work first because the market for what's popular, the publishing standards are always in flux and changing. But when you're done, then start doing your research, but don't stop writing because you don't know how things are going to change. But you might have a lot more options. Um, don't go into it with going, I'm going to be traditionally published or I'm going to be indie published. Look at all your options. Look at your situation. What will allow you the best to continue this career? Because it's a long haul game. Um, you know, you can't count on your first book making you a full success. And if it does, that's great. But you know, where are you going to be in five years if you stop writing and then you decide you want to write five years later? You need to continually produce work, put stuff out there, and the ways to do that are always in motion. Um, like right now, after I started indie, I didn't think I'd ever go trade. I thought I'd like black mark myself with a stigma and then awards came out and I'm hearing that hybrid authors are the most successful now. And, you know, that's something to look into. Something else I didn't know about when I was starting where now a lot of Kickstarter anthologies are happening. And they're being backed sometimes by New York Times bestsellers. You know, they'll crowdfund an entire anthology, cool. and they go, hey, if we hit 20,000 um, 
dollars in donations, we'll open it up for submissions, and new writers can submit a piece, be paid if we pick you. And that's an easy way to get a story out there, get your name out there in an anthology edited and with a story by, you know, famous authors. Um, there was one a little while ago called Hath No Fury, which had Gail Z. Martin in it. Um, and had a bunch of strong female authors in it, excluding uh, a few male ones. And, you know, it was Kickstarter funded. Um, the New, New York Times bestselling author David Farland has done some of these. You know, there's really successful authors who all they ask for is send us a story if we hit a certain amount of donations. That's a quick, easy way to get your name out there, and I wasn't even aware of that over a year ago. Um, so always finish your work so you have something to give or sell, and then look at where to sell it. That's good advice. Um, Sound familiar, Paul? It does sound familiar, JF. I am, I am getting the hint over here. I've been writing. Come on. No, I've no, been you've, been, you've been doing. You've been doing very good. I'm very proud of you. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. So, um, so uh, one, one more quick. No, I have one more quick question. How long have you been? Because I mean, this is something that I came up when you were just explaining to keep writing. How long have you been pursuing this? Okay, like let's talk about like not from when you first started writing, but. When you were like, okay, I really want to try to get this out there. Um, I would say 2012, one year before Grave Beginnings, okay. I wrote um, essentially what you can call the horrible YA version of that. Um, it was a poorly <laughs> written novel, had nothing to do with it, but same genre, same sort of first-person writing skills. My mechanics weren't as sound, but they were getting their um, similar voice in some manners, but if it was a teenager... And I submitted that traditionally. And I actually got a lot of good feedback. Not only were my queries responded to in record time, a few days as opposed to weeks to months, um, I was told my writing was actually solid. My concept was not strong enough because it sounded like too much of everyone else's YA, um, urban fantasy, paranormal stuff. Right. Um, so I scrapped that. And then 2013, and when I was really serious, and I saw the market had changed going, I'm going to self-publish Grave Beginnings when I was done with it. I'm going to learn how to make this success on my own, however long it takes. A few months, years, I'll learn the business. I'll build my series up to give it a chance. So um, I officially published it 20, um, 2013 on Christmas, but it shows December 19th because that was when I originally uploaded it and it was ready to go live, and I just didn't click yes until Christmas because it was a gift to myself. Oh, that's very cool. That's cool. That is very so, JF, cool. I did not mean to interrupt. I just thought that that no. was... Uh, I, I was you know. I was just going to ask Ronnie uh, where people can find him, what oh, he wants to promote. Like, the time for you to plug your stuff and get more sales from our readers. Because huh? it, here, here's here's a trick. Like, the thing that people may not realize, we're having this, uh, this self-published author. He's really good, so you should read <laughs> his stuff too. Yeah, it's, it's, it's he's not Dragon just Dragon Award an, nominee here. Yeah, so I mean. Some nominees were a very low bar to clear, but others were good, like J. Derek Adams. Oh, drink, drink. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, where, where can people uh, find your stuff? Where, where, do you, where do you get the most bang for your buck when people buy your books? Amazon. And they, they don't pay me to say that. It's just um, Amazon has cornered the market really well in all mediums. Um, they sell my hardcovers. They sell paperbacks. They sell e-books. Um, if you just Google R. Verdi, you will find any place to find me. I am published everywhere in digital format on every platform. I am in print uh, available all around the world and I am in hardcover, which is another format of print all around the world. And I, right now I am also having editions for audiobooks. So I will be getting those. So if you just Google my name, you will find me. Um, yep. I was going to ask about audiobooks and then you've answered it. So that's awesome. Thank you. So 
No, thank you for for being on. Um, I'm, I'm. Do you have curious. a Twitter or a website or something? Yep. Oh, yeah. um, those, those are like the first few things that will show up. Um, Rverdi.com. If second okay. you Google me, it'll pop up. My Wikipedia will pop up. Um, Twitter will pop up. It's just at Rverdi. And yeah, cool, definitely. So yeah, go go look. Go out there and um, do some research and pick up a book or a series. Right? Let's pick up a whole series. Here. It's the whole um, set. Just get it <laughs> yeah, on the ground floor so you don't have to catch right. up. And yeah. uh, Ronnie, thank you very much for being on the show. I'm I mean, obviously I'm going to be keeping an eye on how things develop for you and, uh, and thank you. as you hit milestones. Well, I'm probably going to be wanting to have you have you back on to oh, see. I'd love to come back. Progress. Cool. Yeah, always always a pleasure talking to you. You too, man. Thank you for having me. So, Paul, what do you need to plug? Um, you can go and follow Right Brain on Twitter. It's at rightbrain underscore. You can uh, also follow. Um, my personal Twitter at Paul Inman SC P A U L I N M A N S C. Uh, if you want to Google Ageless, you can find my debut novel uh, available all over the place, and you can purchase it if you'd like. And you can leave reviews on Amazon and Goodreads when you're done reading it. And uh, yeah, I don't know, Jeff. Your turn. Oh, I'm I'm gonna plug my uh, my website jeffdubo.com. That's jeffdubo. J-F-D-U-B-E-A-U.com and you can also follow me on Twitter at J.F. Dubot where I just today posted I retweeted uh, the uh, a f- a picture of the galley copies for God in the Shed that Inkshares put out and uh, they've got this little red band at the top of the cover that just still feels surreal to me anyways I'm they're going to be sending me a, a couple of copies and I'm just extremely excited like a child to uh, to get my hands on that all right. Well, that's awesome. Go follow JF. Follow Right Brain. Follow me. Follow Ronnie. Um, R R. Sorry. Yep. Sorry, cool. Ronnie. <laughs> um. So yeah. Until next week, Ronnie. Thanks for coming, man. That was awesome. Thank you guys for having me, man.